Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life. That's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Wednesday, October 10th. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and I'm joined today by my esteemed colleague and good friend, healthcare analyst Michael Douglas. Welcome back to the show, Michael. Thanks, Christine. It's great to be back. I am very excited to have you here with me today. We have two topics on deck. The first one relates to biosimilars, and the second one is about a new drug approval for a company called Flexion Therapeutics, which we will get to after we first cover biosimilars. Do you want to kick us off with that first topic, Michael? Sure. So, it's a long story, but basically... So, settle in. Yeah, exactly. This is going to be a long episode. Now, Teva Pharmaceuticals has a drug called Copaxone. It is the market share leader in multiple sclerosis. It is very popular and pretty expensive, and it makes Teva a lot of money, about $4 billion a year. Now, Copaxone is about 20% of Teva's sales, but because it's such a high-margin drug, it actually makes up a much bigger percentage of their overall profit. Copaxone is formulated in both 20 milligram and 40 milligram doses. Now, the 20 milligram dose uh, basically meant once per day dosing. And Teva moved over to the 40 milligram dose once the patents for the 20 milligram dose expired, allowing generic competition to come in. And so essentially what they what they did was they took this drug that could be dosed once a day and instead changed it to once that could one uh, a drug that could be dosed once every 2 days. And so suddenly there was a difference and a lot of patients converted over and they used this to protect their market share. This is something that you see a lot of different pharmaceutical companies doing for a lot of different drugs in a lot of different ways, either dosing, safety issues, in some way trying to make the drug a little bit better so they can protect themselves from market share reductions by generic competition. However, Teva's 40 milligram Copaxone dose is now imperiled because myelin has a biosimilar that has been approved. Right. So, just a little bit of background on biosimilars. This is something that we talk about all the time on the show. So, if you're a regular listener, feel free to tune out for the next 20 seconds. But just in case we have any newer listeners with us, biosimilars are essentially really complex generic drugs. Um, Traditionally, if you have a small molecule drug, you can make a generic version of it very easily. It's just a chemical formula that you repeat. Um, Whereas, if you have a more complex biologic drug like Copaxone, it's more difficult to duplicate. And so then you get the word biosimilar because it's actually not an exact replica. It is merely similar. It functions exactly the same. And you do have to prove that. There's a whole set of safety regulations that the FDA has set up. Um, But so that is what we're talking about here when we say biosimilar. So Mylan is deciding to do something that is called launching at risk. And so this is, it's an interesting choice of strategy. I can't say that I disagree with it. What it means is that they are currently tied up in court with Teva about whether or not they are allowed to launch this 40 milligram dose. Mylan's argument is that, hey, your patent shouldn't renew just because you made a longer lasting dose of the same exact drug. And so they think that they should be able to launch their generic version of it, their biosimilar. 
And Teva obviously is on the opposite side of that. They they don't want to just hand over all of their their sales to some generic copycat version that can come and undercut them on price and steal all of their market share. So they are currently still in court duking this out. But the FDA gave Mylan the green light for both the 20 milligram and the 40 milligram versions of their biosimilar, meaning that they're now allowed to launch it. And they just have to accept the potential risk of if they lose the the lawsuit, if Teva wins their appeal, they might have to pay up a bunch in damages to Teva. Yes. And just to give you a bit of background, AstraZeneca sued Apotex after Apotex did an at-risk launch of a generic form of Prilosec from 2003 to 2007. The district court in 2015 awarded AstraZeneca 50% of Apotex's gross margin on that drug, on its generic form of that drug, as damages. So that just gives you a bit of a sense as to sort of how much myelin might end up having to pay up. Now, things are a little bit different here. Prilosec was a small molecule drug, and so the generic form of it was a lot easier to formulate, as we've already discussed. For a biosimilar, it even if myelin lost, and of course there's no guarantee of that, it's a much more complicated uh, bit of pricing because there's so much more R&D that has to go in to creating that bio-similar drug. So I think even if this plays out against myelin, we could see a very different sort of result in terms of damages from from the legal challenge. But of course, we're not lawyers and we're not very good at predicting the future. So it's hard to say from here. Unfortunately, I, I wish we were. I know, me Make too. Make our jobs a lot easier if we were <laughs> just right every single time. <laughs> so How one, do they do that? One more detail that I want to throw out about this story before we move on is that there actually already is a different company here that has a 20 milligram biosimilar of Capaxone. And this is a company called Memento, which is partnered with Novartis on the biosimilar. So that's another thing to consider. Um, it's not hugely important uh, because Momenta only reported under $20 million in revenue from their 20 milligram dosage in the last quarter. So not not huge, but it is still something worth watching because if uh, Mylan does get their 40 milligram biosimilar out there, and by all means they're going to do that, that'll probably steal a bunch of market share from the 20 milligram dose. Um, when you think about the type of patients who will start on a biosimilar as opposed to the generic, it's or sorry, as opposed to the brand name version, it's usually your newer patient starts. And so that those are uh, the ones that are directly competing here. It's the, the drug from Memento, the 20 milligram version, versus now this new myelin 40 milligram version. If you have the choice between taking something once every three days versus every day, it's it's the, the patient's convenience is going to win every time. And I think it's important as well to take a, a step even further back and really consider that this, the behavior, uh, this issue with biosimilars with Mylan and Teva, and also with Pfizer and J&J, as uh, Todd and I discussed a couple weeks ago, is really highlighting how different, in a lot of ways, the market dynamics are with biosimilars versus traditional small molecule generics. This is really a new approval pathway in the United States. There's a lot of litigation going on because it's still so new. And also, frankly, because the difference in price isn't, at least so far, isn't appearing to be as substantial. You know, we're not talking 90% off or more it's playing out differently. And so I think this is going to really help all of us as investors better understand how each of these companies, when they lose patent protection on a branded product, sort of what that 
trajectory is going to be and how it's going to be different from traditional small molecule generics. It's a really interesting time to be in healthcare because there's all this transition, but it also means there's a lot less understanding of what that means today. In a year or two years, I think we'll have a much better sense and we can much better, all of us as investors, sort of model out what we think will happen to each of these companies as they lose patent protection on their drugs. Absolutely. So, bottom line for investors, this is good news for Mylan. Their shares soared about 16% on the news of the FDA green light. This happened on October 4th. Shares of Teva, on the other hand, were down about 17%. So, not so good news for Teva, which is kind of a bummer because that is not a company that is doing well lately. So, more bad news for Teva and a little bit of good news for Mylan, which could certainly use it after their EpiPen scandal that uh, is still plaguing them a decent bit. Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, and your life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. So, before we move on to our second topic of the day, flexion therapeutics, a couple times through this episode, I have had a sip of the water in my mug, and I could hear the bubbles. And I'm not sure if you could actually hear them through the microphone, but it reminded me that I, I wanted to talk a little bit about what this water is, because it's not just any water. And this sounds like an ad read, but it's not. So, <laughs> to be clear, to be clear, we are talking. I, I believe Vince, on his consumer goods uh, show a couple weeks ago, mentioned that a company called Topo Chico was bought out by Coca-Cola. And so, Dylan Lewis, the tech show host, bought us a bunch of Topo Chico to try out. Michael, you had it. What did you think? It tasted like Perrier, but better. And I struggle to say that because I have a lot of really positive memories of Perrier drinking it in Paris while my wife and I were there. It was very romantic. It was very nice. But this had a little something extra, and I can't quite quantify what it was. It certainly wasn't the expectation. It wasn't my expectations going in that it would be, you know, materially different. I figured, you know, mineral water is mineral water, right? But uh, there was something, something different about the flavor. Even though, even when I look at the uh, ingredients, they're exactly the same. So, I'm, or as far as I can tell, they are. I mean, so. the ingredients are water and bubbles. Right, right. It doesn't get much more, you know, <laughs> vanilla, if you will, than that. But. Yeah. I mean, I really liked it. That's why I'm still drinking it while we film this. It is so bubbly. Mm-hmm. That's That, to me, is what distinguishes it from the other fizzy waters that I've had, and also why I felt the need to kind of apologize for the, the bubbly noises that I'm not <laughs> sure might be emanating through the speakers. Anyway, so <laughs> moving on <laughs> moving from on our... Moving <laughs> this, this is when uh, the healthcare show tries to talk about consumer goods. <laughs> this is what happens. <laughs> right. So back to healthcare, our wheelhouse. So uh, a company called Flexion Therapeutics, which is a fairly small cap stock, I believe their market cap is around uh, 880 million. When I checked this morning, uh, their ticker is FLXN. If you're looking f- to find them, we talked about them on July 25th as one of our three stocks trading under $30, and they were well under $30 at that point. But they're actually getting pretty darn close to their $30 mark uh, after. They announced an FDA approval for Zilretta, a non-opioid sustained-release steroid injection for knee pain. Right. So, 
I think a little bit of background on sort of two different areas is important here. The first one is the last time they hit a market cap this big, or even really particularly close to this big, there was a lot of talk about Sanofi buying them out. Now, of course, your question is probably, well, why would Sanofi want to buy them out? Well, in part because Sanofi has a competitor drug, which brings us called a Synvisc one, which brings us actually to the second piece, which is <clears throat> knee pain treatment generally starts with ibuprofen or aspirin, right? That's what happens when you have an ache and you don't quite know what to do with it. Then you go to corticosteroid injections and then ultimately opioids. So this is a non-opioid drug, so it gives sort of an alternative um, treatment, which, you know, for anyone I think concerned about um, painkillers in general is really, I think, uh, of interest to us both as consumers and as investors. Now, Sanofi's competing drug, Synvisc-1, uh, brought in 116 million euros last quarter for Sanofi. So there's certainly some opportunity here. And when you see most analysts are saying that they think Zilretta could be worth 500 to 600 million dollars a year in peak annual sales, which would put it about on par with what Synvisc-1 is bringing in now, you know, plus or minus. Yeah, so you can see Sanofi being a little bit nervous here. Whether or not Sanofi would now buy up Flexion, um, that remains to be seen. My hunch would be probably not. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they looked at the data from this drug, and they decided that they weren't going to make the acquisition. If they wanted to make it now, just because the FDA has now green-lighted this drug, they would have to pay up a heck of a lot more. On the old buyout speculation, the stock was rising to about its current levels of just under a billion dollars. So, given that now it's trading on its own merits at nearly a billion dollars, Santa Fe would probably have to pay quite a bit more than that to acquire this drug um, and the company with it. So, um, remains to be seen whether they actually will, they being Sanofi, uh, suffer a hit due to the new competition. But the drug did perform pretty well in trials. It reduced pain in patients with osteoarthritis of the knee by a median of 50%, which is a lot, at the 12-week mark. And it's uh, set at a, a fairly reasonable price. I mean, I, I don't have in front of me what uh, Synvisc 1 is priced at, but uh, Zoretta will be priced at wholesale of 570 a dose, which, of course, in healthcare, that doesn't mean that's the final price. That they <laughs> right. Doesn't that mean it'll, that much. Yeah, really. it'll it'll translate to a net price of about five hundred per dose, which ends up being about two thousand dollars per year. And this is a huge indication. I mean, when you look at that price, it's not the price that you would see for some rare disease drug or mm -hmm. a lot of your oncology drugs. But this is a condition that about fourteen million Americans suffer from. And about five million of them receive injection via treat, uh, treatment via injection injections. Words are getting very difficult every single it's all year. All those bubbles. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what it is. <laughs> um, so uh, when you also consider that there's potential for off-label usage, uh, Flexion is studying this same drug in use in hips and shoulders, which you could probably see doctors already starting to prescribe in the off-label setting, particularly as the, the trials continue and we start to get positive data there. Hopefully. Hopefully. Fingers, yeah, fingers crossed. But regardless, it is absolutely expected to become the standard of care in osteoarthritic knee pain and achieve blockbuster status. Yeah, so this is a big deal for flexion. For Sanofi, it's not really necessarily that big of a deal. I mean, 116 million euros is per quarter is a lot of money, to be clear. But if you're the size of Sanofi, it's not really that big. And so this is definitely really, really good news for Flexion. It's potentially some bad news for Sanofi, but just not in any really big material kind of way. Also, it's uh, important to note, Flexion has a bunch of former Sanofi execs. 
in in place and management. And so you can probably feel pretty good that they have some sense of what Sanofi's mindset could be, uh, or at least that's what I would sort of hope and expect. Yeah, and the, those sorts of connections will also be really important now that they have the approval. They can go out into the field and market this drug, hopefully with some relationships that already have existed. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, it will take time to mobilize the sales force. And so the first few quarters of sales won't be terribly exciting, but it will be something that we watch as this, this drug ramps up uh, to its full potential, particularly because of how devastating the opioid epidemic has been to see news like this of a non-opioid drug get approval and hopefully start to do really well. Um, that's that's good news from a, a human perspective, from an investing perspective. It's, it's definitely all good stuff here. Um, as far as the company goes, they look like they have a pretty healthy balance sheet. They have $360 million in cash as of uh, June 30th, last time they reported. They have a little bit of debt. It's a $150 million in debt. Um, I, it's it's definitely one that I'll be watching. I, I think it's it's worth uh, monitoring those those first couple of quarters, seeing how it does competing against Synvisc One. But it's still a pretty small company working in a huge indication, so it's it's definitely a watchlist item for me. Yeah, when a company is trading at, let's say, roughly two times peak sales, it starts getting interesting. And I would I would also throw out there. You know, for anyone who is currently invested in flexion or plans to really be watching it over the next couple of quarters, keep in mind Salesforce isn't supposed to be in the field until sometime in November, and so this first quarter is going to look bad. Just not because they're doing anything wrong necessarily, just because it takes time. And even so, you know, it takes a few quarters for that ramp to really happen. And so, even if this becomes the new standard of care, and even if it just you know, knocks Synvisc One out of the park, which you know we don't necessarily expect it to just you know, demolish it entirely or anything like that, that still takes time. And so make sure that you sort of have patience, that you're watching cash burn in terms of, you know, how how much all that extra marketing expense really starts draining that cash balance that Christine just talked about. And remember that we're long-term investors here. We're not looking for this quarter or next quarter or the quarter after sales. We're looking for what that can tell us about a couple of years down the road. It's a great takeaway. Thank you, Michael. And thank you for being here with me today. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Today's show was produced by Taylor Harris, who is filling in for Austin Morgan, and we really did not make it easy on him, so thank you, Taylor. <laughs> and Austin, hope all is well with you. We miss you. For Michael Douglas, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!